Your support helps us bring fresh voices, new voices, and credible voices. Support Mind Podcast by clicking on support the Mind Podcast link on mind.net. You can also write to us at info at mind.net about any other way you would like to support Mindmakers. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this edition of Mind Podcast. This is Adit Kapadia coming to you yet again on a uh, beautiful day in Houston. And uh, together with me is Sunanda Vashisht. How, how's it going, Sunanda? Excellent. How are you, Adit? Pretty good. And we are thrilled to be joined by our ex-Houstonian friend, <laughs> a columnist and author, Harsh Gupta, um, all the way from India. And uh, first of all, Harsh, I don't know how like, our scheduling didn't work. Why? It was so long till we got you on Mind Podcast, but you are here, so we are glad to have you here. Thank you so much. It's absolutely my pleasure. I was also waiting to be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, how's everything going in India right now? It's good. I'm in I'm in Mumbai. Uh, obviously, there was bad news uh, regarding the stampede, hmm. but otherwise everything is going fine. Oh, so, you are essentially on uh, ground zero, and for people who I mean, you you give an excellent segue uh, to what I was going to talk about. The first for people who don't know, um, uh, two days ago, three days ago, there was a stampede near a pedestrian bridge, or I I, I don't know the the term used in India here. It, it's called a pedestrian foot bridge. Foot over bridge. Foot over bridge. Uh, so that is uh, in near Lower Parel, near Elphinstone, uh, where about 22 people lost their lives and more than 30 people were injured. Um, from what we've read, uh, basically there was a people were standing to escape the rains, and I mean that bridge is always overcrowded. More than a hundred tweets were sent or something, and many warnings and were somebody given. Somebody said that the bridge is going to fall no, down. No, I'm saying uh, yeah. a lot of warnings were given before. Okay, yeah. something might happen in the bridge, and then there were varying versions about some thing what happened or what triggered the stampede but the bottom line is it was a tragic stampede and you know um, 22 people lost their lives I, I could not believe when I read this about, in about 10 to 15 minutes mm-hmm. 23 and I have been to this uh, so, have so I. I am familiar with the area and so stuff have and I. It's yeah. Yeah. Very, so uh, Harsh what have you heard so far I mean on, from the ground I think exactly what you read in the news that uh, 22 people have lost their lives, many more injured, some are critical. Mm. Uh, and you know, anybody, a lot of the offices in Mumbai are in Lower Parail area, Sulaba, PKC, that's all in the southern central part. Mm. And uh, many commuters come from northern parts of Mumbai or Navi Mumbai or Thane, even from, from mm. the northern and uh, interland, so to speak. Hmm. And the only fast and uh, relatively cheap way to come for most office workers is the Mumbai local train. Correct. And uh, the infrastructure is clearly inadequate for the large number of people who do travel and use it. Hmm. Hmm. So, and, so while the specific accident is obviously very tragic from a more uh, macro point of view, unfortunately I have to say that it was kind of just waiting to happen. Um, and uh, as you know, Mumbai is right now in the process of, uh, just like 10 or 12 other Indian cities, uh, putting in a brand new metro network. Hmm, hmm, so, hmm. you know, with that, it cannot come one day too soon, hmm. uh, because that should finally be congested, not fully, but at least from such uh, brutally and possibly fatal kind of densities that hmm. we have right now on the locals. Uh, no, and that's that's the tragedy, right? That um, in like you know, one thing is ki the commuter safety and stuff. Like uh, you would of course expect ki the local trains would be running accordingly, the tracks would be maintained and stuff. But these are things that often get overlooked. That pedestrian overpasses, uh, 
platforms they all need to be maintained too they also have a shelf life it's not like uh, once you build a concrete platform it is going to last you for life yeah it's the maintenance on the railways mm. has gone down the drain if you remember mm. when apyush goel took over that was one of the among the first speeches that he said he said the way they check the health of the um, line the railway line is so outdated this is what used to happen in 1800s they check it with some you know um, some spoon or something mm. the way they check it they, there are there are such modern ways of doing all that mm. somehow all that has escaped railway industry. but again we are we're focusing just on the lines yes i'm saying that the, 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 not enough attention is given to these things also and these things affect people yes as just as badly absolutely i i agree with aditya chandra both that lines as well as the surrounding infrastructure has to be financed for but but more broadly what has happened in the last 70 years in india is that one of the few things that we've actually not much built after the britishers have left is the train network it yeah. has been only centralized and mm. we basically cross subsidized freight mm. uh uh sorry cross subsidized passenger fare from freight yeah huh, exactly exactly yeah, yeah. Which has basically meant that, uh, as you know, Nitish Kumar before that, Lalu Prasad Yadav before that, Mamta Banerjee mm. in coalition politics, uh, railway ministry has been one of those populist uh, kind of birth cabinet births that we just gave and they announced some uh, projects in Bengal and Bihar, mm. and in the part of India that is politically expedient. Mm. Whether there is follow up or not, so so what we are seeing now in the last three four years. is that there is a massive uh, turning around of this super massive shift you know the railway budget has been collapsed into the normal budget mm. finally the accounting is being done double uh, book accounting which is now so standard in any simple form was not being followed in in railways there was cash accounting no and, and, and then the silly trend once that process mm-hmm. done by the way they brought in other people finally we able to corporatize it no and the silly it can be broken and then it can be disinvested etc etc and the silly trend that we had ki har nayi train koi bhi india mein aa rahi you announce it in february or something <laughs> you know and then for new sectors also what hash said where it was politically expedient you only do that no because railway as harsh was saying railway history was traditionally for last so many years when the coalition politics was running um, you know was the rule of the day so um, railway ministry because it was supposed to be um, you know high profile ministry it was always given to the coalition partner usko khush karne ke liye so then from mamta banerji to nitish kumar to lalu yadav who apparently made um, some harvard <laughs> cases on the thing god knows what he did um, but at that time um, harsh you remember remember this um you know um, lalu yadav was feted as this um, you know wonder, wonder kid who had turned around railways obviously now we know Absolutely the truth right. and we also know that he called to howard yeah. to uh, give a speech about how the turn around happened and basically what the turn around was if you cut down the capex and investment and maintenance and he just do populist measures like not raising fares or unionizing the employees Uh, and the economy is booming as it was in 2003 to 8 everything mm. is fine except you creating massive problems for the next 
बिगेस्ट कोर्ट अनकोर्ट रिफॉर्म्स दैट ही हैड डन वाज इंट्रोड्यूसिंग कुलहड यू नो दोस यू नो व्हाट कुलहड इज यू नो क्ले कप्स फॉर वाटर या दैट वाज द बिगेस्ट रिफॉर्म लालू यादव हैड डन आई एम नॉट जोकिंग एंड दैट इज व्हाट ही वाज बीइंग फैटेड फॉर नहीं मतलब ऐसा नहीं था ना फिर चाय पी के कुलहड रास्ते पे फेंक दे या दैट वाज दैट वाज लाइक द बिगेस्ट रिफॉर्म ही वाज डन सो दैट इज दिस वाज नो नो गेटिंग गेटिंग बैक टू सीरियस थिंग्स I think another thing also is the lack of fixing accountability. See, yes. in India, अगर कुछ भी accident ये सब होता है, all we hear is the railway minister has to resign this way that. Uh, I I am yet to see uh, detailed reports on who officer or who जिसकी लापरवाही से हुआ, because of whose negligence this happened, X Y Z happened. अभी now we are hearing that the pedestrian, the contract for this pedestrian had already been given in 2015. Had been given in 2015. So why was it not even? Why weren't the tenders released two years later? अच्छा yeah. if it it was critical, then the government should have put in some sort of reinforcement measures, uh, you know, to protect. Now everything you cannot. You are not going to expect the rail minister to do. So, which officer was this under? No. Why was? Why, I think you know? you are. I think you are absolutely on the uh, on the point here that there has to be accountability. But I think beyond the point, we cannot expect inhuman accountability, and therefore it is very strange that Mumbai local is being controlled from Delhi. Wow. Exactly. So the point is that yeah. this is not a Mumbai to Pune, even intra Maharashtra or Maharashtra to Gujarat kind of train. Exactly. There is some kind of logic. Hmm. This thing should basically be slowly merged with whatever the metro authority is or have a separate hmm. authority for it. Absolutely. And then it is much easier to even then accountability will never be very clear, but it will be more uh, direct hmm. uh, transparency and accountability. Right now it wow. goes up to Delhi then. बैंगलोर में नहीं था अदरवाइज इफ यू डोट फिक्स दॉट होल्स ऑफ बैंगलोर आई विल नॉट लेट रॉकेट टेकिंग ऑफ फ्रॉम इसरो 
for a couple of minutes because I will tell so just 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 hold that thought for a second uh, just hold that thought for a no, second no i want to end with something uh, yeah harsh we will go back to um, uh, you know bullet train but i just want to say this that even after the stampede happened the fire tenders and the first responders came almost an hour late that is also that needs to be spoken about after such a massive incident in a city like mumbai first responders cannot be one hour late i agree completely or any any city any city <laughs> yeah yeah so harsh uh, sorry to cut you off on that you were saying something you you want to talk about the bullet train thing so let's just yes, start I, i think a lot of people obviously are very pain and some of them are saying you know we are talking about bullet trains what about basic railway safety i think it's just the two issues are very disconnected japan is giving us a very very uh, soft concessionary tender zone hmm. uh, to take only a bullet train you know you we could have negotiated something else in immediate uh, dedicated flight corridor 10 years ago hmm. this time japan was in a hurry to sell a bullet train partially because china sold a bullet train to indonesia hmm. so you know once you sell to india and get a massive contract it's very important for their company also so it's not exactly fungible Hmm. and getting free money for something else from japan would probably not have happened because jica jica was already funding a lot of infrastructure projects in india hmm. that is continuing anyway so this is over and above that hmm. so basically trying to say that we could have taken this pot of money and put somewhere else is something that was simply never on the table yeah uh, uh, so harsh so here is that is that criticism is simply void here is my take on this here is my take on this harsh i have a completely different take on it please listen and go ahead okay my i have a completely different take on it while i agree with you that this bullet train thing is nonsense i mean it doesn't make sense i mean these two things are completely different as you so eloquently pointed out but my thing is that this is politics what they are trying to do with bullet train is you know how politics is all a war of perception it's a game of perception what they are trying to do bullet uh, with bullet train is suit boot ki sarkar 2.0 no one wanted to know about what happened with that uh, suit that um, you know uh, narendra modi was wearing with his initials and everything where it had come from it was a gift and all that but suit boot ki sarkar stuck you know so much so that a lot of my colleagues think that um, you know and we'll talk about economy later a lot of shift in economy came after suit boot ki sarkar because that really stung now they are hoping to do the same with bullet train nobody is interested in wanting to know you think these people don't know that this is a very generous loan we could not have used it anywhere else i mean even a fourth grader will understand that that's not the point what they are trying to do is create a narrative bullet train bullet train bullet train are bullet train mein kyu paisa laga rahe ho you're not putting in this and this is a narrative that they are trying to create and how will narendra modi government um, you know no so i tell you the, there are two 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 uh, ways in which this will massively backfire a ek cheez to wo ho rahi hai ki one of the uh, quote unquote guys leading the charge इरेलेवेंट है थोड़ा राज ठाकरे अगेन बैक इन इंटरव्यू उनका है 
if they hope that this is going to stick for one and a half year, then they clearly don't know what Narendra Modi is about. So, um, the, six months later, the narrative will be something else. So, I think the, the real reason why bullet train is that they think that this is a low-hanging fruit, what you said, with which abhi hume thoda bhot, uh, air time ya space milega. And ek cheez wo hai ke they have understood that this is probably close to Modi's heart. And that is the issue that they are attacking. That in this way we are going to personally attack Modi. So that's the political part of it. But Harsh, uh, final comments on bulletin, and then we move on to the economy. What do you? Think? I mean, the final comments. I mean, bulletin. There will be a lot of technology transfer. I just, hmm. I mean, political perception point of Amanda is absolutely correct. Hmm. But I think it's important for people to realize that uh, yeah, given the financing, given the technology, huh. uh, what we are getting is basically more or less a free. Um, and I think uh, bullet train works well for intermediate distances. So Mumbai to Ahmedabad is great. We can later on do that now to Patna, maybe in somewhere in Andhra Pradesh. Mm. So it's, it's a good technology to have uh, to supplement our highways, expressways as well as flight. So I, I think on the whole, really there is no uh, apple to apple comparison here. It's very unfortunate that such political statements are being made. Absolutely, and no, and I agree with you that technology transfer is probably even more interesting to me than the finance part of it because in a lot of places tech transfer does not take place yeah. a lot of these agreements so um, and, and you know the I irony is Lalu Prasad Yadav who was saying something Anand Ranganathan our good friend he found out on Twitter that in 2007 or 8 in the railway budget he had said something about having a bullet train from Patna to Delhi but that was who remembers <laughs> uh, no that is why we have Ranganathan on Twitter yeah. he, he will find the one statement that some guy made in some village in 2004 <laughs> and then get a screenshot of that Anand Ranganathan was born for Twitter <laughs> so I, I just thought that was quite fascinating. Today he has done a phenomenal series on Alama Iqbal. Yeah. So, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was going to tell him, don't do on Faiz Ahmed Faiz, otherwise half of IIC Delhi is going to go into like depressions. <laughs> I'm not saying that Faiz has something, but agar usko, uh, if Ranganga finds one thing on Faiz, Faiz was a known communist. He was even given an award by um, Soviet Union. I mean, I, I, I don't know how many people know that, but that's. But to, be, to be fair, he was never as. Uh, Islamist as no, like he was Malo not Islamist, or... but no, 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 he was a he was a communist. He was a communist. Hmm. He was yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Right. He was yeah. one of those you find out. Ah, that is the the Muslim nationalism. Nonetheless, Alama Iqbal was definitely uh, worth exposing. Uh, I know exactly, huh. exactly. <clears throat> so, uh, anyways, um, uh, let's let's go into the economy. So. Um, <laughs> you know, Harsh, I'm going to start with a very layman question, right? Because we have to step the stone for this discussion. Is India under a uh, terrible economic spell, as the pessimists are saying? Or are we, you know, everything is hunky-dory as the optimists are saying? Or just as everything is true, every, everything happens in India, the reality is just in between? I think obviously, I mean, the answer is clearly set up for the third. It's in the middle. But I think more and more specifically, we are at a cyclical low right now. Huh. A cyclical low would probably have been in 2016. Hmm. You, you know, all the negative interest rates, real negative interest rates from UK Times, real estate bubble, uh, NPAs and banks, hmm. thanks to corruption and as public sector banks, all of that poison was being drained out. Hmm. And basically what has happened is it has been further, the, the, the bottom has been further delayed by, by one year hmm. because of demonetization, GST, 
दाम गिर रहे and um, i i this is something i always joke that you compare to anywhere in the world and you've lived in singapore harsh you've lived in us also have you seen anybody say who's making like 2 or 300000 a year having like four houses of their own usme se do khali land you know or five houses in india mein ye ho gaya tha that people were voting like five lakhs i mean during 2007 8 9 people who had leveraged and then took a loan to buy another house it was it was really crazy I mean, people got a lot of money those who just got lucky in the cycle as you rightly say so i think i think basically now we are seeing more sanity the next real estate boom a lot of analysts are saying it's going to be less about price expansion it will be about volume expansion no, this is why narendra modi is pushed on affordable housing he's saying you know let's not have price increases that much Benefit 
measures that Modi has brought, but it has brought short-term pain. So I have an article in Swaraj, you know, five arrows of Modi nomics, uh, short-term pain, long-term games. Mm-hmm. So if those who are interested can read that. Basically, it summarizes all these points in Modi. Absolutely, I, I highly recommend it. Just one second, Harsh Surinda wants to make a point. I I just have a, um, a point, um, Harsh. You said that this is cyclical and this is a cyclical low, which is understandable. Um, and there was also a point about Narendra Modi. And remember when he came in that there are no big banks happening, there are no big banks happening. Finally, there were two big bank reforms or big bank announcements. I don't know if demonetization was a reform. Um, GST certainly was. So do you think that these two, we went to big bank or it was, uh, he could have waited for the economy to sort of settle down after demonetization to announce GST? Or, or let me put it this way. Was GST or the rapid introduction of GST, uh, was it a factor of the perceived failure of demonetization? I don't think so, but I'll let you know. No, politically, I'm saying. Politically, I'll say politically, I think obviously it is risky, but I think he did the right thing. Uh, Perhaps politically as well, because had he waited a few more months, Hmm. then the impact of GST might have been too close to May 2019. Right. Which I agree. Yes, I agree. And it would have been disastrous. He got out all the uh, painful, short-term painful things out early. Uh, by 1st July of 2017, hmm. which allowed, you know, all the criticism is happening right now. And if our thesis is fundamentally correct, hmm. then, you know, in a couple of quarters, people would have been completely beyond this. And, and, and it will be safer. And, and one thing on GST that... So com- economic, reform, economic reform also is extremely required because what happened is now people are very, people know that this government is very serious hmm. about pushing you to formalize all your small companies, make a, make a corporation, pay your employees with check. So what you are saying that so what you are saying is that yeah whatever is required I think that's what you are saying if you look at the GDP numbers the services economy is actually already bounced back okay hold that thought I'm going to come to you in the last segment about or in the last segment of the economy on the growth portion and the way forward and then we'll talk a little bit about the current political situation in India. Before we get to our uh, next topic, um, I do want to say that this is MindMakers production. This Mind podcast is brought to you by the MindMakers team. This uh, podcast is produced and edited by Adit Kapadia with the help of our team in India. The panelists for the um, podcast are Adit Kapadia, Pramod Kumar Buravalli and Sunanda Vashisht, which is me. Yeah. Okay, I wanted to ask a question to you, um, Harsh. It's all right for um, economists and commentators like yourself and us to sit in, here in these um, air-conditioned rooms, um, you know, recording the podcast and talking. No, but what I'm trying to say is, it's all right for us to ah. say that for long-term gains, we have to have some short-term pain. Mm. But then that short-term pain also translates into a lot of people losing jobs, a lot of farm, um, you know, rural distress, a lot of people coming from rural areas to urban areas because rural distress, okay, there is nothing for farmers there. They come to, uh, you know, to cities at daily wage laborers, find nothing there. Mm-hmm. So that this 
translates into a lot of unrest in the country so we can say tell those people are wait you know something is happening in um, you know in your future we have to pay a price for um, formalizing our economy or cleaning up our economy so Look, what what, what, you say what you're saying is a lot of people are having a uh, price increase in food grains you know yeah. so uh, i want for, to for a common person jiske liye dal chawal mehanga ho raha hai is there something that needs to be done yeah, is exactly. is, is is his pain absolutely right i mean at an abstract level it is easy to say but the thing is real um even there though if you, if you let social bullas let us speak in indian express you saying actually rural agriculture has been getting very rapidly in the last few months compared to some years now mm-hmm. uh but but see there also we have to realize that while the competitors keep on saying that oil prices fell and modi became lucky but we really had Two to and a half bad monsoons. It was really unprecedented for yes. Kundalini Modi. So there was a lot of real distress baked in because of the weather. And as far as the informal sector is concerned, I think the real pain at informal sector level has been more by the small owners and businessmen. Uh, you know the traders, the traditional actually support base of BJP right. in terms of uh, in terms of if not in numbers then in terms of voice and support. Hmm. I don't think the employees to that extent uh, have gotten that impacted. I mean, we, we really don't have a very good formal data on that, and no, there are all these anecdotes, especially in demonetization. Oh look, everybody from Gujarat diamond industry went back to their villages. Those may have happened, but I think broadly at the rate, at the at the at the job level, it is not really caused that much pain. Except in pockets of manufacturing, because the Indian economy, I have to remember, is is already majority services. Right. And the services economy is has actually grown at nine or ten percent something in the last quarter. So many people have just not noticed that. Basically, what happened is manufacturing sector collapsed. Yeah. And that is why I know I know a lot of friends who in all of June their factories were shut down because they were just getting used to the new software. They wanted to make sure they get input tax credit. So I think. Part of it will simply correct uh, the the restocking. There will be restocking, and that will show in the hmm. you know quarter two or the financial year numbers. So there is a reversion already built in. But I think the broader issue is that I feel a lot of people, including at the RBI, you know, they 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 like wait a second. This government is so unconventional, hmm. and subconsciously they want to kind of punish it. Yeah. Look at Vishal uh, Virala Acharya's uh, RBI commentary for not raising rates. He's like, you know, if we if we if we decrease the rate, sorry, not cutting rates. He's like, if we cut rates, NPAs will be reduced and banks will have faced less pain. It's almost like a Calvinist desire to face more pain or to impose more pain. Yeah. And I and I think I think to some extent a lot of the economic establishment is simply so taken aback by the unconventionality and the speed of Modi economic policy huh. that there is there is there is a lot of wait and watch. The the oh, the audaciousness of with which he's pro- progressing. No, but something I also have to add, Surinder, and we'll wrap up after this. And you after you make your point that the the gov- it's incumbent on the government also to educate a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, especially the from the MSME about GST. Maybe more GST workshops in specific cities uh, address the glitches with the. And I I you know I think the press strategy of Prime Minister needs to improve. He needs to come out and just address say like. Uh, you know rather than man ki baat just visual on a visual medium okay this is how we did so ajit i agree with that and on that point see again this is a very uh, bad misconception that gst is going to hurt msmes exactly no i know that but i'm saying a lot of people don't know that because yes, they but in the long run i feel the biggest benefit for msmes absolutely because the biggest pain point for msmes is not getting business financing loans right yes. and the way gst helps it 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 allows big data as you understand to go through all the transactions that are now in the gst database 
and like let us say this guy is producing generate uh, genuine cash instead of 17 percent the bank or NPFC will give him a loan at 12 percent. Exactly. Because and now the perceived risk is much lower. Huh? So actually, it's yeah. not the case that because of GST only big companies will survive and all the small companies will go away. Actually, the genuine small and medium companies will get much cheaper loans once the big data no, no, uh, thing happens because of all the digital services. But I, I think you're right. The education needs to happen starting from the prime minister himself. Huh. But uh, uh, it's, it's only a short-term pain is for the middle and small companies. Yeah, so and the get much better financing. And I'm going to put it in very late layman terms. But what happens is that a lot of see MSMEs have uh, you know people who are daily wage people and stuff providing services, right? अभी उनके लिए they have stayed out of this tax system so to speak for the longest time. But you know, I'm just talking about newspaper. I'm just giving examples. So for them to bring into the tax embed, bring them is difficult. It's a uh, so growing thing. The voice is very, uh, the volume is very low. Ah, uh, sorry. So for them, it is uh, very difficult to bring all these, uh, uh, you know, people who have not stayed out of the tax embed to bring them in. Or how can it happen? Because the people who are giving them services are not. in the burden is falling on the entrepreneur himself to or herself to uh, sort of compensate for it and uh, and i don't just mean financially you know paperwork ye wo to abhi i was reading news ke finally they might have it ke gst quarterly file hoga i i did read that but here is the thing we also need to talk about jobs harsh we also with you you just said and everyone knows that manufacturing sector has you used the word collapsed and you know i was going to say uh, folded no, sorry, the yeah. Short-term collapse. Yes, short-term collapse of manufacturing. Where are the jobs going to come from? And if you look at the numbers, I don't know if these are the numbers that can be trusted. You can uh, probably um, guide us better on that. But the numbers that are coming out, whether it's in last thirteen years, the jobs job creation has been pathetic. So what what would you I, I say? Think, I think Arvind Panagari. One of the last things he did before he left was he commissioned a job, a better job survey data. So I think first thing first, we really don't have the data right now. Hmm. Secondly, manufacturing constitutes a very small section of Indian jobs, unlike China. Hmm. And even the manufacturing that we have is more high tech and value added. Hmm. Hmm. Most of the jobs is first in farming, second in construction. Hmm. And I think construction is it, uh, most of the jobs, unfortunately, will not be white collar jobs. Even if the formula is only blue collar jobs, hmm. and they will. Come Months of the real estate to fix up again, which I think is a matter of months or quarters. Actually, mm, okay. so I, I, in India, most people, most young men. I mean, the, the female labor participation rate is very lower. That's a separate topic. Mm. Most men do work and earn. Mm. The issue is not getting a job. The issue is getting a job which has some kind of formalization, some exactly. benefit, some mm. better mm. to pay, something that interests you. And I think this is a natural progression. It will happen. Uh, yeah, I think it will happen now precisely because of the formalization of the economy. Even though it will not happen overnight, oh. but the, in India the issue is not unemployment. The mm. issue is underemployment or, or wrong matching to what kind of employment is actually good for your skills. Or I would even put it that way: not having a st- industry standard. Mm-hmm. You know, ki ab- absolutely, absolutely. Most people, I, I don't think I see even uh, if you go to slums or villages, the most. Young men are not sitting idle. Mm-hmm. In fact, many of them are not even there in their village homes. Exactly. So, I think that that is not the issue. The issue is how do we create first of all the human capital, and mm-hmm. secondly, how do we create an economy which, you know, because of lack of tax compliance, mm-hmm. people don't artificially remain uh, small mm-hmm. and therefore unproductive. So probably you're saying with in the next few months we might see a surge in private investment also, or does the government need to incentivize it more? 
the government has already incentivized rapidly the news came out uh, i think 3 or 4 days ago that they've extended that uh, that uh, cheap housing loan for the middle class till 2019 from uh, another 18 months mm. so they are throwing as much tax incentives interest subvention that they can at the issue mm. i think at this point it will just take its own course and time the rbi if it acts rationally it can help in the process <laughs> if it acts rationally <laughs> yeah for some reason i mean it was, there is there is a good reason why they acted hawkishly they had to control inflation because ah. of the congress policy no no i understand I yeah right now they are kind of overdoing yeah. it partially to regain their credibility which was uh, perceived to have been lost uh, during demonetization ah. so mm-hmm. you know all these issues get connected in a very strange way ah. but i i i think i think in the next quarter we will see around you know 6 and 1/2 7% कमीशन प्रमोद महाजन वॉज मेड कोट एंड कोट एडवाइजर टू द प्रेसिडेंट अच्छा आफ्टर द बिगेस्ट ड्रबिंग दैट दे गॉट इन महाराष्ट्र इन मार्च अप्रिल बिकॉज ऑफ विच प्रमोद महाजन लॉस्ट इज सीट उसके चार महीने या पांच महीने बाद उसको राज्यसभा में ले लिया और मिनिस्टर एंड जसवंत सिंह वॉज ब्रॉड बैक एज अ मिनिस्टर ऑफ आई थिंक नहीं वॉज ए फॉरन अफेयर नो फॉरन अफेयर उसके बाद डिफेंस फॉरन अफेयर वन ईयर लेटर सो दिस इज रबिश चलो दैट्स गुड एटलीस्ट हर्ष डिडेंट से गवर्नमेंट शुड अबॉलिश इनकम टैक्सेस सॉरी आई हैड टू पुट पॉडकास्ट लेटली कोई 
I'm joking, of course. But, but uh, thank you so much, Harsh, for joining. Uh, our, our, our next segment for our listeners is going to be an interview and a discussion with an organization called SIIA about immigrants in US. So that. But uh, thank you so much, Harsh. We'll we'll have you back. You know, this is a one time. We won't leave my podcast. Thank you, Sunanda. Thank you, Adit. Thank you. We look forward to seeing you back here. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, guys. Welcome back. So, uh, Mind Makers, as you know, is uh, at the forefront of covering Indian issues, uh, American issues, and Indian American issues as well. So, this is an interesting thing that we've been wanting to talk because we wanted to have different voices from uh, different Indian voices in United States speaking up on different issues as well. So, uh, there's an organization called SIIA, um, and uh, the representatives of whom uh, Anirban Das and Karthik are with us on the podcast and today. And we have also published a lot uh, of their pieces. Uh, pieces. In- in- I had about three or four pieces on Mindmaker, especially the last one on H1 visa issues and what Indians are facing went absolutely viral. Mm-hmm. Um, the H1 visa issue, as you know, has been taken up by the Indian Prime Minister and the Indian and External Affairs Ministers in the United States as well. Yes. A lot of the rhetoric that we saw pre-election uh, has calmed down. Calmed down, and uh, company, well, the government, the U.S. government, has taken a more temperate approach and a more logical approach, as a lot of people would say. But uh, first. Uh, I, I think they should uh, explain Anirban and Karthik uh, uh, why don't so you spend 30 to seconds to explain what you do what is your organization about and what is SIA all about right so my name is Anirban I'm uh, one of the founding members of uh, Skilled Immigrants in America or SIIA uh, our organization primarily replace, uh, you know, represents skilled immigrants. I mean, it has primarily become an Indian organization because it's primarily Indians who are stuck in the green card backlog. And our organization primarily represents those who are stuck in the green card backlog for years and years. And we, our primarily mission, our primary mission is to raise awareness of the issue to the Indian community because we have seen that there are many Indians who live here, who work here. They are not aware of the issue that you know they have to wait years and years decades literally for a for a green card mm-hmm. and we want to raise this issue to to the indian community bring awareness to them and also we want we obviously actively advocate for uh, Kind of change, changing the discriminatory cap on the green cards for employment-based green cards that we have. Uh, we, so, we advocate for eliminating that and so Anirban, we um, really advocate and support for HRC. Anirban, for a lot of our listeners who do not know what is this discriminatory cap and uh, what are you guys uh, basically advocating, like what changes do you want in that? Sure. Uh, basically, the, the thing that is that... Uh, America has only 14% of employment-based green cards. Out of the 1 million green cards that they give out, only 140,000 green cards are given to uh, employment-based immigrants. That too includes dependents. So if you if you exclude the dependents, uh, dependents, America primarily gives only around 6% to 7% green cards to high-skilled immigrants. Uh, the H-1B quota, as we know, is being dominated by India. 70 to 75% of Indians come on the H-1B visa, and then once they apply for a green card, they get stuck in the in, in the in the in the discriminatory quota of 7%, which is given to every country. So. A populated country like India and China have the same number of green cards as somebody who is born in Greenland or Estonia or Iraq or Iran. Hmm. So that's where the problem is. And because each country gets the same number of green cards, whether you're born in Greenland or Estonia or you're born in India or China, 
you know, which primarily dominates the green card, it, it has created a backlog of immigrants who are primarily waiting to get a green card. And for India, it is particularly very, very difficult because right now the, the backlog, which uh, we have actually studied and we have worked with the Tattooing Institute to, to calculate this, is actually anywhere between 70, 70 years to 350 years. That's that's what it is. Oh my there are people who have been uh, who have been filing for green cards now, who maybe do not even know that they will literally never get a green card in their lifetime. So, mm. so on this, we want to let the Congress know about it, hmm. and we are actively that's why advocating for a bill. Uh, Anirban, uh, uh, yeah. uh, I want to ask you a question. Anirban, for for those of um, who don't know, why is this backlog happening? Is this bureaucratic, um, you know, no, not this gap. thing, or what is that gap? Explain to our listeners why is this, um, uh, you know, this whole backlog happening. Sure, I mean uh, the H one B program was uh, was started in nineteen ninety, and uh, per the you know Immigration Nationality Act, which was set in nineteen sixty five. Uh, you know, at that time, each country was given, you know, 7% quota, just so that, you know, one country does not dominate mm. uh, the immigration to the United States. In 1990, when the H-1B program was started, it basically followed the same suit, and every country was again given that 7% country quota. So, obviously, when the H-1B program started, you know, it started being dominated by Indians, especially after the Y2K era, mm. you know, which, which started bringing in a lot more skilled people into, into, into this country. What we want to say is, it's basically an old law. It's a, it's a very archaic law, which was set even before, you know, there was internet, even before the way, you know, we do work right now, and that law basically does not work right now. It's information technology. What America is saying is, well, we don't want the country to dominate immigration in any field. What we are saying is, well, this is skilled immigration. When When a company hires somebody, it, it basically hires a person for their skills, for their education, not in the country where they're born in. So we are saying that skilled immigration should be based on the skills and not discriminated by country of birth because all these That's skilled immigrants from India point. who are waiting on this backlog, yeah. the only fault is that they were born in a certain country. Okay. Like, That's a very because important of the old point. archaic law, they are, they, are, they are stuck for a long, long time. So, and, and, and I'm not um, contradicting or agreeing on anything, but basically just to play the devil's advocate for the spirit of a debate, um, it's not incumbent on the any government, US government, to change a law, so to speak, right? Um, but, but do you think the, but, that any government will be motivated enough to change the law? I mean, because any government is going to ask them what is in it for them, and so to speak. Yeah. I know uh, I may sound, uh, I mean, just, you know, heartless or something. It's not for You are completely correct. I mean, I mean, I obviously understand. Hmm. I mean, the, the biggest motivation is basically what the high school immigrants bring to this country. I mean, these people are, you know, one of the top earners in this country. Like, you know, Indians hmm. are hmm. Yeah, absolutely. really, you know, high income, high income immigrants in this country. And so... I mean, what happens is, you know, these people, you know, who are in their 20s and 30s or even in their 40s, when they're stuck in this backlog, you know, they cannot change employers, they cannot take promotions. It basically, there are many there who are, you know, have entrepreneurial dreams, who want to start their own business, who want to create American jobs. Mm. They cannot because they're stuck in this green card backlog. Okay. I think that would be the biggest motivation. And then there are many who, who mm. probably have the ability to buy a house or even another car, mm. but they're not because, you know, because of the, because of the green card backlog that they're very 
Interesting, interesting, absolutely fascinating points. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to come to you in a minute about the 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 dreamers uh, thing that we were talking about before the podcast, and then we'll uh, wrap up the interview. But just hold on that thought. 
Okay, uh, Anirban. So to continue our discussion uh, in the last part, I wanted you to talk about the dreamers and the H four dreamers, as you call them. You know, so to speak. So what's what's the situation there? Right. So basically, there are many children who came with the high school Indians when when they came to this country to work, and they came here on a dependent on an H four visa. Hmm. The problem that we are seeing right now, because of the backlog, is another big problem: is that these these children. Once they turn to the age of 21, they cannot stay on their parents' green card application anymore. What, what, what essentially is called is aging out. That's what the U.S. government calls it. So they will age out, and they will literally have to self-deport. They will have to leave this country and go back to India, or they have to go to another country, or 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 they have to get on another visa here, which is not great situation because then essentially they fall into the same. Same uh, yeah, system so that that already has a seventy year to a hundred year backlog. So they literally have no shot to the American dream, even though they have been living in this country for a long time legally and are literally Americans in every sense. But they have to leave this country once they turn to the age of twenty one. So we wanted to focus on this issue. Uh, we, we we call them H four dreamers because they hold an H four or a dependent visa. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting points. So, and and then we, we I think we are going to uh, feature a couple of pieces on it as well. I was talking to Karthik about it because there were a couple of people who wanted to write on it, so people can read about more. But let me to wrap this up. Let me ask you this: What do you th- like? I know you were talking about uh, reaching out, you guys reaching out to the politicians and stuff. So, how successful has it been for you guys? And what is your uh, next step in this whole thing? Sure. I mean, there are essentially two bills in Congress which basically uh, eliminates the, the country caps from employment-based green cards. The, the uh, House bill is called HR 392, Senate for high-skilled immigrants, and the Senate version of the bill is S 281, which is also the same bill, which is just mirrors the same bill in in, in the Senate. Uh, the House bill is being or uh, currently sponsored by uh, Republican Kevin Yoder from Kansas, and He's been a big champion of that bill. Currently, there are more than 270 co-sponsors out of the 435 that uh, live that the Congress members no, are in Congress. So essentially, what it means is just to point it already has a majority in in the House. If it is brought to a vote tomorrow, huh. this bill will pass with 350 votes. So we we basically want every backlog Indian who are here to you know contact their Congress members, hmm. ask them to co-sponsor if they have not, or To support this bill, to come to come to a board, so HR, that you know this can move. HR three ninety two. Along, along, along. What is that bill that you said? Can you name it again? Sure. The name of the bill is HR three ninety two, fairness for high skilled immigrants. The bill has more than two hundred and seventy co sponsors in the house. And for a lot of people, we have a majority of members who are who are supporting. It's a bipartisan support. I mean, many more than a hundred Democrats as well as more than a hundred Republicans have supported this bill. We are very confident if this bill comes to a vote, it will pass. Pass the house very easily and then move on. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Kanirban. Uh, Kevin Yoder uh, was the congressman who actually. Um Uh, after Shrinivas Kuchi Botla, the techie who was tragically killed, uh, his wife almost faced deportation or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kevin Yoder helped yes. her out. So yes. right, I mean that's the that's the loophole that we want to really focus on is because you know because of this dependent visa, mm. since since wives and children, spouses and children are completely dependent on the visa of the mm. visa status of the primary applicant. Mm. Since Shrinivas was the primary applicant and his wife was on a dependent visa. 
when Srinivas was killed and you know his his wife literally had no other visa to fall back on mm. to stay on in this country she had to literally have you know, the only option she had was to go back mm. i think what kevin yoder did is she worked with the uh, uscis to get her a uh, one year uh, extension so that she can get on another visa but this is one of the things that we want to focus on you know that, that you know people are you know are, are in a limbo status for decades Interesting. Th- thank you so much, Anirban, for these very interesting points. I myself didn't know a couple of points. Yeah, I did so not know many of them. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Uh, special, uh, thank you so much. And uh, I, uh, as I've told uh, you and Karthik, I think uh, we'll uh, in the days to come we can even have a extended hangout uh, mind debates with a lot of people from both sides of the political spectrum and people who are actually being affected to talk about other issues as well. We would love to have you guys back on this as well. Uh, thank you for joining us this week <laughs> well, we want to thank you for giving us this pl- platform for raising awareness so thank you very much for the opportunity absolutely absolutely so um that brings us to, uh, to an end of a fascinating podcast. You know, Great podcast a, today. You know, the spectrum that we covered today was, was phenomenal. Phenomenal. And yes. uh, wait, watch out for the podcast coming up as well. We have some very interesting things planned for you guys. So yes. uh, I am looking forward to the next few podcasts. Uh-huh. Great lineup. Yeah, you will not be uh, disappointed, so yeah. to speak. Um, anyways, um, uh, before we end, uh, our favorite part, the recommendations. So, Sananda, any recommendations you have? Yes, it was uh, Lataji's birthday on 29th and happy birthday Nightingale of India Lataji mm-hmm. um, there will there will never be another Lataji ever there will never be Lata Mangeshkar another Lata Mangeshkar she's just phenomenal I'm such a great fan uh, you know on her birthday I often listen to you know who doesn't three four generations of Indians have grown up listening to her but then I was you know the other day I was listening to songs of Reshma or Shera mm. and then there is a song which everyone sings you know uh, Jaydev has composed it um, um, for the songs that Lataji has um, sung um, for uh, Reshma Shera those are just so phenomenal and I remember calling Adit and telling him if she had just sung Reshma Shera she would still be the greatest singer that she is today <laughs> so it is Tu Chanda Mein Chandani you know and all other songs Choti Si Chuban you know just listen to those songs and see what a phenomenal singer she is yeah. and once again from Mindmakers happy birthday Lataji happy birthday Lataji uh, one song that I'm going to mention about Lata Mangeshkar, uh, every singer tries to sing it, every singer butchers it, yet and they think they're fails. the best, is Lak Jagale. Ah, nobody can sing it. Nobody like can that. sing Lata, like Lata Mangeshkar. I, um, two years ago, I uh, attended an Asha Bosle concert live and Asha said that no one can sing it like Lata, but this is my humble tribute to Didi uh, and Lak Jagale. And uh, who, I mean, uh, they're saying that Lata of 50s, 60s and 70s is un. Beatable. She is somebody Even else. 80s for that matter. Middle only no no I till the end. Only in the nineties did her voice voice become little too commercial. Yeah. But even in the nineties, you have often say you there was Lakin. Yeah. There was uh, there was Lamhe. Yeah. There was um, this uh, Rudali. Yeah. 
दिल हुम हुम करे सम हॉन्टिंग नंबर एंड देर वॉज माचिज कैन यू गिव मी सिंगर हुल सिंह पानी पानी रे विशाल भरद्वाज सेज दैट वॉज वन ऑफ इज फर्स्ट एल्बम एंड इज लाइक रोंगटे खड़े हो गए हमारे सिर्फ पहला नोट पे एंड आई लाइक आई ऑलवेज टेल सुनंदा सिक्सटी परसेंट ऑफ लता इज बेटर देन द ट्रैश दैट संग एंड एम नॉट सिंग एवरी फीमेल सिंगर इज वॉज ट्रैश बट देर आर सम वेरी ट्रैशी सॉन्ग इन द नाइनटीज विच बी गेट ब्लॉक बस्टर्स एंड येट शी वॉज स्टैंडिंग नौशाद से अबाउट बड़े गुलाम अली खान साहब दैट ही वॉज प्लेइंग इन अलेजली एक लता का गाना बज गया रेडियो पे बड़े गुलाम अली खान साहब अनार कली फ्रॉम हाँ वो कौन सी ये कली अनार की ना अलविदा अलविदा ये जिंदगी उसी की आई थिंक मे बी दैट सॉन्ग बड़ा गुलाम अली खान साहब उस बड़े गुलाम अली खान साहब साइड कम वक्त कभी बेसुरी नहीं होती Yeah. and that is lata by the way shreya ghoshal when she comes when she came here i saw her a couple of years maybe 4 years ago she actually ended with that song mm-hmm. yeah wo song ka pata hai kab compose hua tha 1963 uh, 54 years ago raj bhi log ga rahe i i don't think i am even equipped to talk about the magnitude of lata ji's voice i mean she is just so phenomenal mm, amazing yeah. so uh, one recommendation of course from both of us is that the other recommendation that i want to give is a little disturbing but there is a documentary on netflix my uh, paid sponsors i'm telling <laughs> about the nithari killings It, there is yes oh my gosh and <coughs> you guys must watch it my friend told me about it uh, and um, you must must watch it it's rongte khade ho jate yaar wo dekh ke the so lata ji ka music sunte bhi rongte khade ho jate hain and nita and for people who, i am not going to spoil it for people who don't know because what was the nitari killings about because You, it'll shock you. Yeah. It will really it shock. Is, I mean, when the um, killings happened, I mean, when the uh, it came to the light, it was shocking. Ah, uh-huh. so do do watch this documentary. With that, we end this mega mind podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, our recommendation part was only going to be about uh, two minutes long, but uh, like when me and Sonanda start mm-hmm. talking about Lata, yeah, it happens. and for that matter for anyone in yeah. india uh, we'll be back next week with more guests till then keep listening keep uh, keep liking and loving us uh, give us the bookies send us the brickbats as well not physically only on twitter and email if there is anything that me and sunanda can do to answer the queries please let us know i tweet at ask0704 sunanda tweets it as s u n a n d a v a s h i s h t uh, we'll be back uh, next week <laughs>